Those of you who love music from the doo-wop era are in for a treat. Today, well, you're meeting William Morse, a lifelong Jacksonian who's made a significant mark in the insurance industry. But he's also penned a book about the music he loves and the incredible connections he's made because of it. And the title of the book, well, it says it all. This Magic Moment, My Journey of Faith, Friends, and the Father's Love. Bill, welcome to our studios. It's good to see you again. Thank you, Marshall. Yeah, but I tell you what, I love this book for many different reasons. I think um, this is one of those kind of books that I want my kids to read, A, because they appreciate music, but also, too, I think the, uh, the golden thread that runs through it is if you do things for people without any expectations, that's when the magic happens. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it was a joy doing it, and it's a life's work, honestly. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go ahead and start from the beginning. You're from Jackson. In fact, your family, yeah. one of the founding fa families here in Jackson. So you've, you've been here a while. Yeah. And you grew up pretty much with a great family. You loved music. I mean, you had fun out in the country. It was, it was a really an idyllic childhood. Greatly blessed. Uh, yeah. Something we don't deserve necessarily to be born of a nice family, but I was graced with that. Well, you were graced with a dad, too, that said to you, um, you're going to pay for half your college. And I don't think you and I would be sitting here right now talking if he had not done that. I would agree with you. Yeah, because you were an entrepreneur. You decided, yes. I don't even know what you got your major in, but you mm -hmm. figured out how to put on dances. I did. And, 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 and that really introduced you to the music business. Marshall, there were only a few jobs available at that during those summers uh, back in the 50s, and most people had uh, jobs at the grocery store, sacking groceries or working as a, a soda jerk at uh, Brent's Drugs or something. I had to find something, and I didn't, I didn't have a job at the time, so I saw some guy making money down at the National Guard Armory throwing a dance, and I thought, that looks like fun. And it looks profitable. Had money coming out of all his pockets. <laughs> <laughs> Tell some of the musicians that you ended up booking, because some of them were, were, were names that we all know and love. Well, uh, when you say booking, I, a lot of those dances I was able to do with uh, no-name bands, yeah. so to speak, because I had the right night. I would always have it the night of the high school all-star football game. So there were thousands, <clears throat> excuse me, thousands of people in town to see their favorite football player. So I had just the right thing. I had the right venue, yeah. which would either be the King Edward, sometime the National Guard Armory, or the, lastly the Heidelberg Hotel, which is, of course, no longer here. But I had two ballrooms there, the, the Victory Room, which held about 1,000 or maybe 1,500 in the Olympic room, held, which held 2,000. So my last dance I threw, we had about 3,500 people in that thing. <laughs> we took up money as fast as we could go until I didn't have the nerve to take up anymore. To, <laughs> it was only about 10 minutes left or something. I said, you know, just come on in free. But uh, that, that I was able to pay off my college loan that way. You got introduced to Rufus McKay at that point yeah. with the Red Tops. And, and he comes in a little bit later. We'll, we'll touch on his story, yeah. too. But yeah. he really, I mean, there's so many Mississippians right now that when I say that name, they just get a smile on their face. Well, he was just a, very much a part of who we were. Yeah. Uh, Rufus, actually, I can recall being about the 
seventh, eighth, ninth grade, <clears throat> and going to my first dance, and again, it was down at the uh, King Edward Hotel, and I'd get an invitation in the mail, and it would have uh, a girl's name in there that I was supposed to escort, and my mother or my dad would, you know, uh, take me to pick her up, and she'd have a cassage and all that, and I still remember going in, and the first time seeing Rufus up on that stage, there he was. He was just magical, and his voice was so velvety. And he began to sing all those songs of that era. And then he started into um, his most famous song, Danny Boy. And that's the best rendition I've ever heard of it. I've heard a lot of great tenors, uh, you know, from Ireland and all these places, but this guy's voice was so velvety. And it was just loving. And so I got to know him over the years. You didn't go into the music business, though. You didn't become a promoter and everything else. Mm -hmm. You decided to go in the in right. insurance industry, and right. it's it's done, been a good life. Why didn't you go life. into music? Well, Marshall, I think maybe that, that loss that time taught me something that sometimes I, I had no earthly idea we would lose on that one dance. It was after a doubleheader. Mississippi State and Ole Miss played at the stadium, and all I had to do was walk across the street to the National Guard Armory. I thought, there's no way we can we can lose. We're going to make a lot of money. Didn't work out that way. We lost money. I had to shut it down about three-quarters of the way through. I had to call my dad and said, Dad, have you got a little cash here? Yeah. So he brought it down, and we I paid, paid the band the uh, best I could and the policeman and the other people, you know. But we had to cut it off. So I learned something from that, and I wanted a, a, a job that I felt like could be consistent. Also, my father was in that business, and his friends loved him. They loved him for who he was and for how they could trust him. I used to have people say, Bill, whatever your dad tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And I've been blessed to have people say that to me now over the years. Well, our journey today, I think, starts because of the industry. You were up in Washington for a meeting, mm -hmm. and you popped into a, a little establishment, and there was yeah. a band called the Moonglows uh -huh. playing. And yeah. this suddenly, this is like 30 years from your, from your you know, early days, but right. this completely, you felt like a kid again, didn't you? Well, actually, I was with a classmate uh, from Murrah High School. Mm -hmm. we were, uh, that's where I graduated in 1960. And uh, Troy Mashburn was there, and he was a, a jet pilot flying people like Ronald Reagan and J.W. Marriott around. So I said, uh, Troy, why don't we go down to Holgate's tonight and uh, have dinner and then uh, step over next door. They've got a wonderful entertainment center, and the moon glows are going to be playing. I said, Bill, that's great. Let's do it. So we did. I could not believe how good they sounded. I mean, they sounded exactly <laughs> like their records because the same lead singer, yeah, Bobby Lester, was there. Bob, thought, and Bobby, who was not healthy at that point. No, he was not. And I thought something was kind of crazy because when I went up to the dressing room. See, this I, is the part I love because you, you have never apparently <coughs> met a stranger in your life because not a, no, right. a normal person wouldn't have probably had the guts no, to do No, Troy this. stayed down there. He, <laughs> I imagine I said, I need to see these guys. He said, go on upstairs. So I went up and punched the buzzer and... He said, who is it? I said, it's Bill Morris from Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> like they knew, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're going to know that. Right. And they punched it buzzing, and I went in. And anyway, I just burst in there. I said, guys, I love your music. I said, this is just like I heard it back in the 50s. 
Anyway, then Clyde McManus' son was singing with him at that time, and uh, Bobby was rehearsing with the guys, trying to get them ready for the next set. And so I went over and started singing with Clyde's son, Billy McBatter, and I ended up launching into a song by Shep and the Limelights, uh, Daddy's Home. Well, other guys kind of perked up. They, they stopped their rehearsal and came over and gathered around and started. Anyway, they sang <laughs> and they said, come on, baby, you got to do that song with us in the next show. You do the lead and we'll back you up. I said, I've never had a mic in my hands. I'm not about to do that. They said, no, man, you got to. Anyway, I thought they knew that I meant no. Yeah. And I thought I meant no, too, but obviously. So we get downstairs, and then some guy comes out and announces I'm in the audience. And I thought, well, that was nice. I stood up just to wave, sit back there. Uh-uh, the band wasn't hearing it. They started motioning me up. They moved over from one of the microphones and presented it. I got up, and we knocked that song out. I actually forgot part of the song right back in the middle of it. And just I just sang right through it, just made up some words, and then they kept going. <laughs> anyway, uh, at the end of that, all these other singers started coming up to my table saying, now tell me what group you're normally with. I didn't know these singers were in there that night. These were other famous singers who had come to hear the yeah. Moon Glows. Because Moon Glows were revered. They were, but other singers were in all of they're them. They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, they yeah, are, they are phenomenal. Yeah. But other groups that are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame did not like to follow them in a show because they knew how great they were. Anyway, we did that and I knew that our Heavenly Father had done something that night that was out of the ordinary. And I asked, I said, what is this about? And I heard a silent voice say, it's about my glory, Bill. I'm going to reveal to you in due time what I mean. And so you know, you've read yeah. the book. Well, I'm about to say, <coughs> a few, you know, a few weeks later, the Clarion Ledger runs an article yeah. about, about Prentice Barnes. Right. Well, it was more than a few. It was a year later. It was actually. a year. Okay, Almost yeah. A, but anyway, when I looked at that and I saw this forlorn man on the front cover, yeah, I thought, oh, my gosh. And then I heard the voice for the second time. And he just happened to sing for the Moonglows. Yeah, he was their bass singer, yeah. and he was disabled and yeah. living in Jackson. He had been in a train car collision a number of years before. I heard the voice for the second time. Now do you know why you sing with him? Now go take care of him. I called him, and I heard that voice. And I'd never heard a voice like that in my life. Hello. And I began to engage with him. He didn't want to talk to me at first. But finally, when I told him I sang with his group, yeah, and a friendship was started. And so we really became extremely close friends. I would have to say Prentice. I was one of his closest friends, probably top two or three, and he would probably be the same for me if we look back on it. When they were inducting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at the Waldorf, they could have taken anybody. I was their special guest, and I, I went with Prentice, and they paid my way. They paid the hotel for three nights. They, I mean, a ticket to that thing is $2,500 if you're down in the, that section. Mm -hmm. So that and, uh, I mean, just the whole bit, the airline ticket, the, the, the hotel at the Waldorf, it was really something. And you brought your camera with you. That's, that's Oh, yeah. Amazing. Was and you're a good photographer, too, because, I mean, well, all you. throughout the book, there's just wonderful <laughs> photographs of everybody from, you know, you see Booker T., Whitney Houston, I mean, yeah. Fats Domino. 
and I've been privileged to be with almost all of those people at one time or another. You and you and <coughs> well, and you and Prentice even on MPB sang yeah, together. Yeah, we we that, that was impromptu. We'd never rehearsed any of those songs, and we had no accompaniment. Thou shall never love another. Thou shall never love another. And stand by me all the while. Stand by me all the while. Take happiness oh, with all the heartaches. Take happiness with all the heartaches. And go oh, through life wearing oh, a smile. Go through life wearing a smile. You know how happy oh, we will be oh, if we keep the Ten Commandments of Love. The Ten Commandments of Love. <laughs> so, that is amazing, uh, Bill. I didn't know I could sing, honestly, until Bobby Lester and them heard me, and then it started. I began to question, well, wonder why they asked me and all yeah. of that, but over the years, it, I, I received affirmation from a number of them. Yeah, and, and I love this story. i got to tell you this real quick or get you to tell it real quick, when you won the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, Prentice forgot his arm. Yes. Uh, for one thing, uh, I was to pick him up at uh, 5 or 6 o'clock flight. Yeah. So I called him at 4. Well, he promptly went back to sleep. So I called before I leave the house and said, oh, yeah, Brother Marsh, I'm getting ready right now. I get over there. <laughs> There's no light on up at his apartment, so I call again. Yeah, I see him peeping out the window. So we're <laughs> we're way behind now, and I'm flying out to the airport. Remember, this is before 9-11, so as long as you got there in time to hop on the flight before it took off, that was fine. Yeah. Well, we get out there, and it, you know, and there was maybe 20 minutes to go before the flight left, and so we were just really hustling. He. He takes off. He had two prostheses. One yeah. was the hook that was functional, and the other was just a plastic arm, and that was what looked more aesthetically pleasing. So he changed that thing out real quick, and I wasn't paying much attention, but he threw it in the back of my car, in you know, back seat. <laughs> well, um, that didn't work out so well when we got up there. I get this call, well, Mars, you ain't seen that arm of mine, have you? I said, no. Brennan what do you mean? He said, for the life of me, I can't find that thing. Did I put it in your suitcase? I said, well, no, I don't think so. Uh, I checked it out, but as I suspected, it was not in there. <laughs> and so... So you had to help him get dressed. I had to help him get dressed, <laughs> put that tuck seat on and all, and... Uh, so you saved the day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Basically. Yeah. That, that, that was such a great story. And, you know, you were here, you and your wife, Camille, who's... You got a daughter, Camille, too. I so do. I want to keep yeah, everything right. straight here. And both and Catherine. Yeah. But y'all you know, were an event, and I forget, it was one of the balls that we go to here in Jackson. Uh -huh. And <clears throat> Bill Pinckney and the original Drifter for right. playing. It's 1985. It was a diabetes event. Yeah. And it had been iced over in Jackson. But we decided we'd go out. We were going to brave that ice. And we went out. And I heard the drifters, and I thought, see, I thought, well, maybe they'd gotten one of those imposter bands, because yeah. there's tons of them around, say, the drifters or whatever, platters and things. I heard them. I said, that's the real deal. And it was. So I got acquainted with Bill at intermission again. I'd met him at Ole Miss in 1963 at a sorority formal. Anyway, I said, Bill, I want to tell you about Prentice Barnes. And the moon goes, you know Prentice Barnes? I said, yeah, he's a up. really good friend of mine. He said, 
would you take him to see me? And uh, would take me to see him. I said, well, why don't I just bring him to see you? And so I did next day. And when Bill saw Prentice, he saw Prentice walking with that limp and yeah. all in one arm all messed up. Bill said, oh, Prentice, brother. He wrapped his big burly arms around Prentice and he just, I could tell it was all he could do to keep from crying. It was the same for me because I saw a tender moment. Then I got to spend three hours with them in Bill's room while they talked about old times at the Apollo Theater and when James Brown was just a fill-in act. And it was something. I mean, I said, and I, I could have kicked myself for not having a recorder with me. I said, if I ever get a chance again, I'm going to record it. And I did. You did. Yeah. You did. And that was That's what I love about this story so much, because here Prentice was completely broken. Mm -hmm. and, and He was. And just the chance of you calling him up, mm. he's been able to re, he was able to reconnect with people that he had known oh. and kind of felt like he got a second lease. I think, honestly, and he told me this, and I can't, I, Marshall, I can't take credit for it, but yeah. I, he said, Brother Morris, he said, I'm pretty sure I would have been dead in a ditch somewhere if you hadn't come along. Wow. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure he's right. He was an alcoholic. He was broken emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually. In every way a man could be broken, that's the way he was. And that's the thing. I don't think a lot of people realize that a lot of the acts from that time, they didn't really have good... You know, they didn't get royalties. They didn't know. have good legal representation. <clears throat> so a lot of them literally were dying in poverty. Right, and exactly. And a portion of your book, by the way, is helping out with that. Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, we want to uh, give to uh, Music Care some, and I look for other organizations, too, as time goes by. If it's successful enough, I yeah. would like to bless those organizations that are going to look after people like Prentice. You ended up with a really good relationship w with Bill. Though, oh, yeah. and, and for folks that don't realize this, this guy was a World War II hero. He had Absolutely. three bronze stars and yeah. a silver star. Yes. So he was he was a really a good, strong man on top of he being a really good singer. He was an incredible man, and he yeah. was also in my top five best friends. Yeah. Every Christmas day, we would sing that song, White Christmas. Which is that, on the Home Alone soundtrack yeah, for those who are... Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we'd sing that to each other, and he'd just be chuckling, oh, Bill! So good to hear you, and I'd hear all his grandchildren all in the background laughing and having fun. It was just, we were just close. And I remember I would call him every now and then on Memorial Day, say, Bill, I want to thank you for your service to the country. Oh, Bill, thank you. <laughs> now, I served as an officer in the Army, too, so mm -hmm. we could thank each other. Just that friendship that y'all developed was really close, and you sang at his funeral. I did. I yeah. sang. I sang that song. I sang yeah. a couple of songs. I didn't sing the entire song, but I sang uh, "White Christmas." And as Bill was would typically do when he would get into a song, when he w was ready for his other singers to come, he'd say, "Fellas, can I get a little help?" Yeah. Well, there were about fifty of his former compadres, people who had sung with him, sitting over in the audience. I knew them. They were sitting over there, and a lot of them were pretty famous in their own right. I got into that song. I said, fellas, can I get a little help? And they it started singing. Then the entire 3,500 people in the Civic Center started singing White Christmas. Oh, wow. And yeah, no, it was really special. Uh, it tell, really us, tell us a little bit about the cover, the painting on the <clears> cover, because <throat> it's got special meaning, too. Well, it does. That was an artist in Charleston, South Carolina, one of America's great artists. His paintings hang in the boardrooms all over America. 
I dreamed that painting. I, Catherine, my daughter Catherine, my youngest daughter, who, who is an incredible artist in her own right. Yeah, yeah, she she, is. She's really good. She uh, and I ended up in his studio, and I could not believe that art. I mean, I'd never seen anything quite like it. And I've been to a lot of museums, but I mean, the the the, the genre of the music and to see the way he would paint a saxophone player, the the guy's eyes and the the, the, the instrument, everything about it was just magnificent. I thought, I would love to have one of his paintings someday. So I don't remember how long after that it was, but <clears throat> maybe a couple of years. Anyway, I called him. I dreamed that painting. I said, John Carroll, it's Bill Morris in Jackson. He said, yes, Bill. I, I said, uh, remember my daughter and I? Said, I do remember you coming up. I said, I dreamed a painting last night. What's that? Tell me about it. So I told him. I said, I want these guys singing together. I'm not, I don't want them all spread out at different microphones and things. He said, I would love to do that. I said, well, he said, it take. I can't start on about six months, <laughs> but I will. I'd love to do it. And he did. And then he died about three years ago before I had been able to get permission from him because he's very jealous of people being able to use his uh, images. Yeah. So, because everything's copyright, even though I own the painting itself. Right. You, yeah. But I don't own the rights to reproduce it. Well, the the his gallery finally, after about six months of trying to reach him, they said, "Oh, Mr. Morris, we would be greatly honored for you to put that on the cover of your book." And so I sent him some paperwork to sign to <laughs> be sure it was all right. Work out. Yeah. I just think it's great because you yeah. did have four really special relationships, and it just worked yeah, out to be a perfect book, you know, and um, <clears throat> of course, Harvey Fuqua, I oh, got that right. Harvey. Yeah, he was the lead, he was one of the lead singers of the Moon Glows. Right, yeah. he so, was. So you got to know them. him, and you know, he and Prentice kind of had a little thing, they didn't really much get along, and you were kind of able just to kind of get them to, to actually start talking. Well, let me give you a quick background on Harvey. Harvey was one of the greatest arrangers in all of rock and roll history. He married Barry Gordy's sister. Oh, wow. He helped to found Motown uh, and formulate all of that music, the spinners and all these other groups that were coming through at that time. And Harvey brought Marvin Gaye in the business, Tammy Terrell, Etta James. He taught the Dells and the spinners how to harmonize. I mean, yeah. those are two of the greatest groups there are, but they were all loved Harvey. Okay, so Harvey had that background, and he had, a, he had written a lot of the songs and so forth, and... Some of them, there was a little controversy as to whether Prentice had written them or Harvey or Pete in the group. And anyway, but be that as it may, uh, they all went their separate ways. They actually broke up during the middle of a performance. <laughs> and Harvey said, okay, I'm out of here. And they all just went their separate ways. And then years later, they began to be honored. Yeah. So that put them together. They didn't have a choice but to be together. But ultimately... I did have a role in Harvey's and Prentice's really getting to be great friends again. Yeah. I received one of those silent voices again. I was sitting in church. said, I want you to call Harvey and tell him how much I love him. It's the Lord yeah. speaking. I want you to tell him Prentice loves him and that you love him too. I said, I can handle that. So I did. Harvey said, Bill, what am I supposed to do with that? And I said, accept it. So a week later, they were in Boston at the Doo-Wop Hall of Fame. 
Prentice called me after that. He said, Brother Morris, I don't know what to tell you. He said, but Harvey, I've never seen him like that. He said, he looked after every need I had to help. He helped me get dressed in that tuxedo. You know how hard it is with those buttons and all. Yeah, he said, he started talking about us going on the road again. He bought all my meals. He said, Brother Morris, I don't know. I said, well, I know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but Harvey told me later, after Prentice had died, we we went down to Magnolia, Mississippi, a couple of times together to, well, for, first of all to the funeral, and second of all to dedicate the tombstone marker, this large six-foot thing. Yeah. He said, "Bill, I'm pretty sure Prentice and I would have never gotten back together if you hadn't come along." Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, and of course, you know, uh, these these gentlemen are no longer with us, and, and no. that's so tough. And I know you miss them because they were friends. I do they, they, miss you them. not only respect their talent, but they were friends. Rufus is um, was out in Nevada. Yeah, he yeah. was in Reno, uh, somewhere up in yeah. that area, and I talked to him and moving back to Mississippi, and. Where so, people loved them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I said, yeah. Rufus, as you get older, people out there are not going to know who you are or care. Yeah. I said, but back here we love you. And he moved back, and as you know, Marshall, he had uh, he fell on some really hard times because he couldn't, you know, he wasn't yeah. getting uh, performances and things that he could do. And uh, I sent out an email through a friend of mine, Robert Johnson, who has a, a group of friends that he sends a lot of music mm -hmm. uh, I said, Robert, can I send out a thing and tell um, everybody yeah. about Rufus? Thousands of dollars began to pour in letters, uh, like cards. It, it's like in, it's like the yeah. end of, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And speaking of wonderful life, this of course, you know, because this wasn't your main industry. And this is what no. you did when didn't think you were going to do this when you grew up, but you've been able to have an, a great access and. Like I said, you know, here you and Prentice got to sing here on this show back in the time. I'm not going to sing with you today. I, I don't. Th you sing great. I don't think it works so great for me. But I just wanted to say thank you for not only the book, this magic moment. It's a great book. It's a great thank read. You. But also, too, just it's just so neat hearing a story about somebody who's been able to make a difference in people's lives. Well, Marshall, I thank you for what you do, and I love uh, watching your conversations. I've learned a lot about uh, many authors, and I'm proud to be one of them, too. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Marshall.